Thomas Jefferson once said, he who knows best, best knows how little he knows. Hello listeners and welcome to Squeezing the Orange comedian Akin Omobitan and Professor Dan Cable. In each episode, the two of us pick apart peer-reviewed and published social science papers so that you, the listeners, don't have to sift through pages and pages of academic literature. What's up? Dan. Hi, Akin. Hey, hey, hey. How are you? I'm feeling good. Good. I'm feeling, I'm feeling real good, actually. Real good. Do you feel consciously incompetent or unconsciously competent or how are you feeling? I would like to double down on my incompetence if I can. I would like to double down. As little confidence as possible, please. (laughs) If there's anything that I've learned from this study is what you really want to (laughs) do is outwardly vocalize just how competent and ignorant you are because that (laughs) is the true mark of intelligence. Somehow. And that's what we're all about here today is we look at Justin Kruger and David Dunning's great study, and it's called Unskilled and Unaware of It. Should we read the rest of it? We have to. Colin, how difficulty in recognizing one's own incompetence lead to inflated self-assessments? Yeah, I really wanted you to do the bit after that as well, because that is what I would call a convoluted and confusing sentence. Almost on purpose, right? Oh, totally. Like, they were really, like, (laughs) laughing totally. But, like, this, so this study has a, I'm going to say, like, a, a popular term, but I don't think it's popular outside of behavioral science, but it's the Dunning-Kruger effect. Yep. And if you had to simply say what that is then, what is the Dunning-Kruger effect? Okay. I think it has to do with those people that are least competent have the least information about their competence. So they think they're really running with the pack when in fact they're at the low end, the back of the pack. That's a lot to say quickly. It's a lot to can say. Can you quick- say it quicker? I, bet I can, you can, say, I can it say it quicker, but the way that I will say it is going to be in the most insulting Do it. way Do possible. It. I would summarize the Dunning-Kruger effect as people who are stupid are so stupid that they don't realize that they are stupid. Yep. That's like yes. the coarse way. Yes. Like, yeah, no, I- that's right. It's almost where ignorance meets confidence. Like right Ooh. in that intersection. It's like, I'm really confident because I don't know anything. Yeah. It's like ignorance is bliss when it comes to rating how good I am. Totally. Because if I don't know anything, then I'm like, yes, I rock this. Whereas <laughs> say you're like middle to upper, you always know like, I don't have this that good. Yeah, that's that's what the study's all about. It was in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. It's at least four studies. I think it's four different studies on this stuff. Yeah, so they do kind of the, four and a half. They do what I love. Yeah, yeah. they do what I love yeah. with these studies is where they kind of like layer it. So it's kind of like really good storytelling where you don't really want to give everyone everything at once. What you want to do is give them enough to kind of understand, but also be challenged. And then you start building on that. So you now start anticipating the questions that they will ask and then start providing those answers. So the further I read this, the more gratifying I found it because it it was really helping to paint a fuller picture for me as a reader. And hopefully we can paint quite a a beautiful picture for the listeners as well. Before we jump into the first study, do you ever have somebody in your life that kind of demonstrated this that comes to mind right now? Oh, man. People who demonstrate this that come to mind. Okay, so I'm going to kind of like tie this into the IKEA effect yeah? that we, we nice. did uh, like a couple... With Bruce. Yeah, yeah, with Bruce Daisley. What's yeah. up, Bruce? Uh, so I'm going to tie it in with that. 
So it's the kind of situation where when someone tries to assemble flat pack furniture and believes that they're so intelligent that they don't need the instructions. And so, of course, 45 minutes later, you're now helping them unscrew panels to be a bit like, well, here's the steps mm, where so you kind good. of got it wrong. That's right. And while you're putting that in, you just don't know that you're putting in the reverse way so that the fake wood is on the inside. Totally. Yeah. I had this one experience once where there was somebody in one of the departments that I worked in. Ooh. And he created a lot of, let's call it psychological unsafety, made people feel really threatened in speaking up, especially when they had a different um, opinion. And so there was all this threat in the group. And he did all this surveying, and I found this out, and I interviewed people, and I got quotes saying, like, we just don't feel safe speaking up. So I showed all this in a department meeting. And he got really, really mad and did two things. The first thing he did is he challenged the results and said that they were bullshit. And number two, he actually pointed around at people and said, if anybody doesn't feel safe speaking up, I need to hear that now. Oh, man. And it was such a gorgeous illustration of how he so little knew how to create psychological safety that he thought he could demand people feel safe. By yelling at them. Oh, dude, Dan, this just like, just as you're saying that, like, and we're not going to go down the whole, like, climate change and politics. We're not going to go down it, but it just, it totally reminds me of how when people are so ingrained in their understanding of what is correct, even when faced with evidence like they with evidence, they find a way yes. of somehow getting back and to I a really point. I think that that's what this study is about in some ways. And it almost goes to the delusion that we really would love to think that we're above the pack. Yes. It's this above average effect where, you know, basically Lake Wobegon back at us. We talked about this once. It's this idea that like everybody wants to think they're above average. But that would mean there's no average. Like statistically, that is so improbable. (laughs) And I think that that's part of what rears its head here. And maybe we should jump into the first study and kind of let people see like how they checked it out and stuff. But I just really, I find so much joy in a study that takes an everyday cognitive effect and then starts unpacking it in these ways that are scientific and that... You can argue with any one of the zones. Like we're going to talk about, they looked at whether people can judge funny. They looked at whether or not people had logical reasoning. They looked at people could use English grammar. They looked at all these different domains and it happened again and again and again. So you can argue about any one of them, but when you get four and five in a row, it really is a solid effect. It is strong. And so, yeah, as Dan mentioned, so we're going to be looking at, well, we're going to be looking at what they looked at, which was humor, logic reasoning, and English grammar as well. So there's elements of it that are subjective, and there's other elements which I guess there's either a right or a wrong. Mm -hmm. So the good thing about the subjective one, which we'll start with, is they're measuring this against the experts. So let's dive into humor. Let's let's dive into it. When I first read this, Akin, I wasn't sure I was going to buy it. I I genuinely feel that humor, while I do think there's a certain sophistication of knowing like what the audience can handle and how to push the limit. I get all that. But I just feel like it's so subjective and what one person finds funny and equally intelligent person might not find funny. So the way they went about doing this is they got a whole load of actual jokes and then they had people. Oh, by the way, everybody 
in all these studies is at Cornell University. That's kind of funny to say. Like, like, that's like a joke to begin with. Yeah, because like, because <laughs> like, I watch a lot of US TV, and there are certain jokes that go under my, go over my head. Should I say like, and I think for like valid reason. Like, I don't under, like, I understand that like, if you're going to Yale or Harvard, I understand that you're a big deal, and if you're going to community college, I understand that maybe you had a kid when you was a teenager, maybe. <laughs> Maybe you didn't listen to your parents when they were like, uh, maybe you should take your studies a bit more seriously and stop sitting around playing video games and smoking pot. Like, I get it. <laughs> like, for several different reasons, but people find themselves in different Do you find situations. Cornell somewhere in between those two? Yeah, where does Cornell? Is that well, like, is it a slap in the middle? Here's what's awesome. It is one of the Ivy League institutions. Ooh, but that it, sounds good. It sounds fine. There's only eight of those. So that, that would imply it's at the top. But there's a lot of humor in society that is not really one. <laughs> it's not really one of the ancient eight. No, it is. Like, technically, it is. But it is funny how part of Cornell University is a state school. And so that kind of, I guess, pulls down its elitism, I guess, a bit. And also, if you watch some shows like the American version of The Office, I think, yep. one of the biggest tools talked about how he's from Cornell a lot. <laughs> oh, oh! So it's that uh, that idea of being very braggadocious about something without maybe. that awareness yes. that you're kind maybe. of putting yourself down at maybe. the same time. Yeah, I think you got it. So you know that's not what this study is about at all. But I do think it's just kind of worth pointing out that every single one of these studies was done with Cornell students, and you know, at the end of the day, all the effects might just be like shit that happens at Cornell. <laughs> 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 I mean, maybe if we went to another school, all the all the really uh, incompetent people would be like, "Yeah, I kind of have a problem. <laughs> I don't know things." Yeah. But at Cornell, they're like, "Whoa, I got this!" <laughs> I went to Cornell for my PhD. Oh, for real? Yeah. Oh, so you oh, oh, so shredded Cornell. There's listeners who are furious now. Who the hell? And it's like, oh, no. Hey, oh, now how angry of can we be? He's yeah. one of them. Totally. All right, get back into that. <laughs> tell, tell us about like what you thought. Ah, don't you do a little bit of um, joke telling? I mean, there are times when you are a comic, aren't you? I, this was a pleasant surprise for me because, yeah, I am, a, I am a stand-up comedian. I spend a, I spend a lot of time on stage telling jokes. I actually spend quite a lot of that time trying to work out if jokes work or not, which is one of the things that's very difficult about stand-up comedy is your awareness of whether a joke is funny or not is presented to you by the room. And what I mean by that is when I'm writing jokes, I can think most of my stuff is gold. When I actually tell a room the joke, that's when I actually find out. So them starting off with humor, I thought was really interesting immediately because I was a bit like, well, this is subjective. Very. But then I looked at the process that they use and I was a bit like, no, I feel like this process is pretty tight because what they did is they had about, so it's like 65 students who were, they were studying various like psychology yeah, courses yeah. at Cornell, uh, LOL. Um, and so they had to assess like a number of jokes. And what they had to do is they were given a list of jokes and they had to rank those in order of the funniest to the not funniest. And there were uh, 30 total jokes. Yeah. And they basically had to like kind of say how funny they were. And instead of just ranking them, which means there was... No, that's like, a gr- great correction, yeah, actually. They, they kind of like rated them. I think it was 1 to 11. Yes. Where 11 is like the funniest thing you'll ever hear. And 1 is like... Eh. 
having it one to eleven yeah. is also. I'm funny. not sure whether this. Yeah, it's also very, very funny. funny. Yeah, very funny. Yes. Are you thinking of Spinal Tap? Yes. Yeah. Oh, perfect. I was going to eleven. Yeah. I was a bit like crank it up Could to you eleven, just make man. The joke humor ten a little bit funnier. Pause, I'm pause. so curious pause. as to whether they, yeah, that might have been because these are like some pretty sharp dudes know, who were exactly. like putting this together, man. That could have been thrown in intentionally. Totally. So what they did is they went out and they got eight comedians to also rate those same jokes. So you got these same 30 jokes that are rated by a whole bunch of undergrads and by eight um, professional joke tellers, yeah. I guess you must say. Yeah. And like, let's give a shitty one and a good one, shall we? Go for it. All right. Start with the start with the, the, the shit bad one. one. Okay, yeah. here it is. <laughs> and I'll tell you everything that's not funny about this joke. <laughs> what is big as a man but weighs nothing? Answer: His shadow. <laughs> that sounds like the kind of joke that you get in a Christmas cracker so when true. you're in the supermarket so and you're trying to decide between, let's say, one that costs two pounds and one that costs ten pounds, and then you realize the value difference when you're yes. now telling these jokes yes. at the table. It also, that joke would come along with like a little plastic trinket that you would never use again, like a top that doesn't really spin and it's about as big as a thimble. It has no weight to it. That's what kind of joke that is. Now, why don't you read the good one, Bing? You know, being funny and all. Okay, I, c- I can read the good one. I need to I need to find it in my... Well, I'll do it. I'll do yeah, it. you do it, because we, I've got like uh, 12 pages of notes. <laughs> this one reminds me a little bit of Stuart Smalley. I don't know if you remember him from Saturday Night Live, but you think he had like like deep thoughts. Okay. And it would be like this. If a kid asks where rain comes from, I think a cute thing to tell him is God is crying. And if the kid asks why God is crying, another cute thing to tell him is probably because of something you did. Now, I think that joke's very funny. (laughs) Why? It's mean? Yeah, it's it's, mean. It's it's kind of believable or plausible because kids believe anything. Totally. It, and it's also like it also it, it's one of those like, that's a good thing about good joke is that it has to be able to operate on many levels and th- there's got to be a, a kind of duality going on here as well so this idea of whether or not you believe in god so like you can like separate that for a second and let's just play into this idea that there is a god if god was crying it would be because of us. Like, imagine, like, you you create something and you're like, this is my pride and joy. This is the greatest thing that I've ever created, oh, known to good. man. Really and then funny. you're a bit like, well, what are they up to oh, now? It's good. like, well, they've decided to queue up outside Primark from 3 a.m. just so that they can hit the Black Friday sale. I'd be disappointed. <laughs> There'd be a tear that would roll down your, uh, yeah, I'd be- your godlike cheek. <laughs> anyway, back to the study. The average across these eight comedians was a 9.6 on that second one. And the average on that first one was a 1.3. So what that does is it shows this really nice range here. And what they found is that um, the participants put their own ability to recognize what's funny in the 66th percentile, which actually obviously is, is way above average. They all like, oh no, I'm funny and I know funny. Yeah. I know funny. That's one thing. But it also exceeded, um, 16% that point. So it's not just like a little bit. It's like I'm way more intelligent than I actually am. Totally. And that was the, that was the, was that the average or was that for the low quarter? Uh, that was, let me say, no, that, um, oh, it's, it gets a little bit worse than that. Yeah. It gets a little worse than that. It's, um, those that were in the 12th percentile. This is like so the this lowest, is like the lowest. worst of them. The worst of all put themselves in the 58th percentile. Man. 
So that means that they're like 40% up. They're they're 46% higher. That's like, that's a perfect (laughs) illustration of delusion. Like serious delusion. Because these are the kind of people who, when you are out and about, when you are kicking it and having a good time, like, okay, (laughs) these are the kind of people that like, they interrupt a good time to tell you a joke. (laughs) And you're just a bit like, are you done? Was that? Was that? Was that, that was. Um, so are you thinking that was funny? Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, um, I just think it's really, really interesting. I need to point this out that all the comedians didn't agree. Only seven of the eight agreed. So there was a there was a standout comedian whose results were basically like messing up the data. It was like we get it, but you're kind of like this is the thing that's tricky as well. Like because I see this a lot in certain studies. There's very often occasions where the anomaly is removed yes. because it yes. kind of yes. skews. Yes. Things won't stand out yes. as much. And so you um, listeners, that is an important thing because there's two things here. One is. When the results don't come out the way you want, there is this ability to just pull the results. So in this case, you could denigrate the study for that. On the other hand, it's almost like the exception that makes the rule because the other seven agreed nice, tight, clustered. The the reliability was like 0.75, which yep. means yeah, they're really seriously agreeing about funny versus not funny. And they'd never seen these jokes before. So I think, well, maybe they did. Do you people study them? Do, do we comedians? Yeah, you comedians. Yeah. Just, yeah, behind the scenes. Maybe these yeah. are people like that already knew what the right answers were and this one guy just didn't study hard enough. No, no, totally. Like, um, in my experience, so in my experience and with having chat, spoken to a lot of comedians and I also watch, uh, comedians in debate, there is a, the, the thing that's interesting about comedy is there's a science that you can apply to understanding why a joke works. So if a comedian tells a joke, whether they're a good comedian or a bad comedian, or if anyone tells a joke, let me just really level it out. If anyone tells a joke, a good comedian is able to tell you why that is funny or why it is not funny. However, what makes the art of comedy difficult is you can't apply that same science to writing jokes and get a guaranteed effect. So you might have an understanding of how to construct jokes in a way that make them funny, but you can't guarantee, you can't put that formula into something and then say every joke that I do is going to hit. Even good comedians tell bad jokes. And what, what I liked about this is that, let's call that the science of the joke. It popped through. Because otherwise, I don't think they could have agreed that strongly. And what yeah. that does is it gives you a point of comparison. And now we're going to jump to different studies and we're going to show you other cool stuff and so on. But it is important that in each of the studies, there's a sort of backstop of truth or validity. And in this case, if you have seven comedians agreeing at a very high standard, then you say, how much did these other people agree or not agree? You can interpret that as knowledge, self-knowledge, essentially. And so the two things they found here were the people... And the lowest percentile, the people that were the worst at judging humor, actually thought they were right up there, like well above average. And then the people who were in the other quartiles didn't have that problem, and especially the people who did the best. The people who interpreted comedy, like the comics, the comedians, they actually were pretty accurate about it. I think in this one, I'm I'm a little bit confused, but in this one, those ones were accurate. They weren't 
underestimating themselves, were they? Oh, I know they I believe this is where the underestimated thing started. It started like here, it stemmed, yeah. So what what we find is that the people in the lowest. So let's say you have a hundred people. The people, and I'm just going to like this isn't based. This is just kind of trying to simplify their findings a bit more. So the people who are let's say in the top twenty five percent, they're more likely to overestimate how funny they are. The people in the, let's say, 25 and 75 in that region, they're more likely to accurately gauge where they are on the funny scale. So even if you're at the, let's say, 26%, you're probably not going to overestimate your funniness or underestimate it too much. It's not going to be as wild a swing. However, the people in the top 25 are more likely to underestimate yeah. how funny they're they are. They're more likely to be modest. Yeah. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But one of the things that I think is really cool, in study after study, in all four of the studies, what they found is that People who are truly expert probably see what they're doing as pretty easy, and then they assume everybody else would see that as easy and get it right, too. Totally. So it seems like what they're doing is underestimating how good they are. In fact, what you want to, should we jump to the second study? We, then? Yeah, we can jump to it. And just while we're jumping to that as well, it's also important at this point to note that not only do the people who score higher so as dan is saying they kind of like uh they have a bit more of a, a realistic assessment of what's going on people who score higher also have the ability to recognize so like they have a an, an ability there to recognize where something is going right or wrong and this is i guess kind of like what makes oh man i just need to keep using the word stupidity because it's a it's a really blunt word and i don't mean it that someone is stupid what i mean is that in an area yes, you can yes. be stupid you can be they ignorant. had a great footnote about that by yeah the way. so it's like it's really important yeah, to know that yeah. if you're not competent in a certain area yeah. what's happening is you also don't have the intelligence to understand why you're incompetent in that area whereas someone who is competent in an area is also able to tell you uh, they're also able to illustrate or to, to identify where they are going right or where That's they right. are going wrong right. so like if you've ever attempted some like diy at home for example part of the frustration is you don't know what you're doing wrong Whereas an expert would look at it and be a bit like, yeah, you probably should have done that second or you would have helped yourself if you had put this part there. But you don't even but when see you, that. Yeah, when you don't yes, know, the so, whole process yeah, yeah. confuses you so much. It's almost like you don't have a map of it. Yes. And one of the things that I found coolest about this article, all the studies put together, it's not just a little bit delusional. It's this notion like in study after study, what they're showing is you walk out of a test, you think you got a B plus? No, no, you got an F minus. Like you thought, you thought you got a 90%? No, 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 you got a 50%. And it's just that, uh, really strong delusion where you're not even in the ballpark. <laughs> I think that's what's so cool. So let's jump to the logical reasoning one now. Oh, wait, we, uh, grammar? Number two was logical reasoning, wasn't it? I'll jump to grammar, though. <laughs> if you ain't bothered by it. Uh, no, you, no, Dan, Dan, you are correct. I have I have uh, been a bit too enthusiastic. So, no, this is great, actually, because with the first one, the question which immediately comes to mind is, well, humor is subjective. So even if someone has ranked them, that's what they think is funny. So even if it is the least funny joke, for them, it may genuinely yes. be the most funny joke. So now we have to kind of challenge that and say, okay, then – 
when we take the subjective element out of it, what can we then exactly. find? And this is what I love about the way that Dunning and Kruger kind of like teased out the information. Also, here. so well written. Totally. I mean, you really could get their personality coming through. And obviously, somebody kind of challenged them on this. And they're like, well, on the one hand, you know, we did kind of establish it with the actual comedians. But let's go ahead and take a look at that anyway. You know, let's let the data talk. And so what they did is they actually took the law school admissions test, which is the LSAT that basically determines who goes to what law schools in the U.S. And they give 20 items of that to people. And then they kind of just did the same thing again. I mean, to be honest, the aha we already gave you um there's going to be a couple other things that are going to pop out but in this particular one they had all these you know same thing cornell students and what they learned is that um that everybody overestimated that the, everybody thought they were above average but a lot of the problems the biggest problems came from those 11 participants in the bottom quartile and they overestimated their logical reasoning ability to the greatest extent so like they might be those lowest 11 people at the 12th percentile for real though like actually right or wrong answers but they believed that they were at the 68th percentile on the actual logical reasoning test again <laughs> such a shockingly different number it's because i like they they provide information here which is very useful However, I, I feel like one of the things that's going on now is I think there seems psychologically, and this is, I guess, partly what the Dunning-Kruger effect is, is illustrating. But I think possibly what's not discussed is the why. And I think there is something that's very uncomfortable about confronting your own ignorance. Mm. There's something, mm. ve- I think there's something that happens in our brains where it's like, I guess delusion is a great word. We need to kind of like reshuffle as opposed to just being a bit like, I just don't really know that much. Like I want to meet the stupid people who were just a bit like, yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't thought know. I did poorly. And ironically, those people will probably learn a lot more. Yes. Because that's the business I was talking about where like confidence meets ignorance. Yes. Really what we're talking about is an arrogance there. It's yes. an arrogance because what you're really saying is, in reality, I am not good at this, but I am acting as though I'm very, very good at this. The person you just described, which is I'm not good at this and I'm conscious that I'm not good at this, they're going to get better. Totally. They're going to learn from the information in their environment. They're, they're going to see peers doing better and say, could you help me? I'm not good at this. It, the worst case is when you're unconsciously incompetent, where you just don't know what you don't know. And that's really very interesting. Yeah, and I wonder whether that is a, a preservation thing where you're trying to preserve your... Like, ego? I guess when we talked Maybe about... Maybe your ego. Yeah, your ego. Yeah. And also yeah. on the study that we looked at about impression management, yeah. part of it was... Sorry, not the study we looked at about asking questions. One of the things was like why we kind of engage with people is impression management. And I think for some... It's like we want to present ourselves as being competent, as being intelligent, as being bright, as being funny... So to acknowledge that we're not that, that's like, it's quite tough to actually, yeah, to even in a domain, even in one domain, which is like funny or logic, you know, you're not saying you're bad at everything. You're just saying that on this dimension, you're at the bottom of the pack. Yeah. Like the next one that we're going to look at, it's pretty important in the sense that it's grammar. But as they say, we can disagree about whether grammar is important. What we can't disagree on is whether there's a right answer. 
And I really appreciated that. I think that that is such an honest way to write about it. A lot of people are like, you might have American standard written English nailed, but you're not a good communicator. Totally. And that's fair. Yep. But what we're saying is there are rules. And that means that you can get it wrong. And that doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you're evil or immoral. It just means you got it all wrong. And yet in this third category, do you want to kind of set that one up? Do you want me to set that one up in terms of like what they did on this one? And So the grammar one was quite interesting. So they did acknowledge that there are, I guess, a few different realms of grammar. So as you mentioned, there's American English, there's UK English. And even within that, there are certain things that are debated, such as the Oxford comma and like correct use of like colons, semicolons, hyphens. There's all of this stuff, but there's set rules that you can work with. So they gave them, I believe it was like 20 sentences. So they gave them like 20 sentences. This is 84 students. You give them 20 sentences and their task was to be able to, I guess, read this and see whether they could identify where there were, well, where there were errors. That's right. And then they give them other answers that would be, quote, more right. So there were like four options. Like if you think it's wrong, is it wrong because it A, B, or C, or D should be right? So it's pretty strong because not only are you like letting them guess, you're also making them pick the right one. And of course, you know, some people did better. Some people did worse. But those that were in the 10th percentile, like just right at the very, very bottom, they said they were at the 67th percentile. Which is, oh man, (laughs) what I love about this is... It just keeps making me laugh. It's it's really funny. (laughs) And it's like, it's hilarious and tragic because (laughs) when I read this study, like this is a great way to teach someone. Like an excellent way. Like in some of the ways that I was taught as a kid was to look at a sentence and then say, okay, then what is required for this sentence to be correct? Similar if someone's learning a foreign language, you'd give them the sentence in a, like, you might give them, like, let's say I went to the store and bought a red apple. You could give them that sentence written down in four different ways, and to now challenge your intelligence is a bit like, which one of those is now correct? Mm -hmm. Now, if someone is trying to learn they're not necessarily ashamed about being wrong because they're a bit like, I'm going to see which one is best to me. And then my, my challenge after that is to see, was I correct? And if I was incorrect, why was I incorrect? Because then I can learn. Whereas what's happening here is very different, which is suggesting that in social situations, sometimes people will quite happily be wrong, even if content. Yeah. Yeah. And even think that they've got it right. Um, this is painful for me a little bit, this part of it. And because we don't have a load more time, I don't think we want to go too deep. But just let me throw out there real quick. This is part of why a lot of times it's hard for me to go back to where I grew up. Ooh. Because there's a load of people that are, you could just use the word uneducated or small-minded or not very thoughtful about the world. And they don't read much and they don't seem to care about their own learning. But then they're really sure they're right. So they're dead wrong about things that they're really sure they're right about. And there's whole, you know, whole science, a whole literature, 40, 50 years on something, and they just are getting it wrong, but they're so sure they've got it right. So it actually is a little penetrating to read some of this stuff, to be honest. No, this, 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 it, it remi- hurts. this reminds me of a uh, conversation that I had recently, and the conversation was about whether or not the movie Die Hard is a Christmas film. Now, I get very animated about things that I don't care that much about because I actually like to put that energy of flaring up into things that I think are fun. So you had a situation where there's six people and let's say three of them are arguing that it is 
a Christmas movie. Three of them are arguing that it's not a Christmas movie. At this point, Akin is raising his voice. His hands are flailing. And I believe Die Hard is a Christmas movie. So I eventually asked one of the individuals who was claiming that it was not a Christmas movie. After like shouting for a good 10 minutes, this is like what I do. This is my idea of a good time. I then just asked a question and I was like, have you seen the movie Die Hard? Oh. And they said no. Oh. And I was like, why are we even yeah, having yeah. this conversation? Unfair. But interestingly, that person then thanked me because they were a bit like, oh, I didn't realize that I had a really strong yes. opinion and stance yes. about yes. something really that I didn't... Which really couldn't have been right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they should have put that as study five on this thing. <laughs> no, wait, something else happened on this one because this is study three now we're talking about. Yep. Several weeks after... They did that whole study we just told you about. They then invited the very best and the very worst performers back into the lab. And then what they did is they gave them their grade and asked them to assess how competent they had done relative to the rest. Did you get this part? They had them come back in for sure. Yep. I think what they expected is that those in the worst would have more trouble grading other people's tests. Yes. And what, oh, yeah, yeah, this is what was important about this. They kept bringing up this idea about metacognition. Yes. And that's it. It was the idea that um, the reason why people at the bottom think they're so great is they're not good at judging themselves, but they're also not good at judging anybody. Totally. That's what it was about. Totally. And that's exactly what they found. They, they essentially found that those people who themselves are not very good at grammar. They also are not able to grade other people's grammar. So it's not just an ego effect, is it? No, no, no. That's yeah, one yeah, of the yeah, things yeah, that's yeah. really cool about Yeah, I this. was just adding that to kind yeah. of like layer it to it. Yeah. But yeah, it's so like, if you are one of the people who are, so if we just say in the, uh, the, what is it? The 10%, like the 10, lowest, basically yeah. the lowest. Yeah. If you're in that yeah. low, what that means is not only are you able, what, not only are you unable to, Enable? Unable? Unable. There's so many words. Is that appropriate? There's so so many words. So not only are you... Hundreds! It's like every language has so many different words. We should just get everyone speaking one language and we should reduce the number of words. Um, Universal language. (laughs) So yet not only are they unable to recognize their own shortcomings, they're unable to recognize this in other people as well. Whereas the top 10% are able to recognize their own shortcomings, which were fewer shortcomings, but they were also able to recognize when someone else was unable to, uh, well, recognize good, bad grammar, good, bad logic. Yeah, that's it. And what they then found, this is actually a really cool thing. Those that originally under, I mean, overestimated their ability got way worse, um, judging or grading other people and then when they're at, now they got to see like here's how five other people did they got real evidence about how other people did then they were asked to regrade themselves and they actually got worse at yes. judging themselves they became more overconfident whereas the people that were the very best when they saw that they were actually doing better and that they knew so much more than these other five people they actually became more accurate in their own assessments it's almost like the the best got better Totally. Not only did they... The experts got more expert almost. Not only did they get better, they actually felt better about themselves as well. Because I think what's happened is you've had 20 people in a room and the... The, I guess the assumption is that everyone... You kind of like... If you don't know anything about everyone, if you're quite intelligent... 
you're probably going to be a bit like, okay, so I'm either average or possibly below average. With no information to go on, an intelligent person isn't going to think I'm the most intelligent person. Whereas someone who is not... Trump said that he was the most intelligent person. Trump says a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) He has a... I think think it was like a quote about his IQ. Maybe we shouldn't talk about this. Yeah, 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 we need to... (laughs) This will go dirty. (laughs) Um... But yeah, just this idea to, to, as in, like, the more intelligent you are, the more you're able to kind of recognize. So, like, an intelligent person is likely to walk into a room and probably deduct that they're not the most intelligent person there. Uh, Another example would be, like, an intelligent person, if if they're in a situation that requires a specific skill, they're more likely to see, is anyone able to fulfill this task? Whereas someone who's not that intelligent would probably see see where a, a specific need is required and be a bit like, I'm the most competent mm-hmm. to deal mm-hmm. with this mm-hmm. task. Mm-hmm. This Dunning-Kruger effect is, is there is a lot going on. Yeah, um, I think like we're a little bit over, but I think it's worth dedicating a bit of time just, just to the final measure that they did. I think we can jump did, through it. Because that was very helpful. Well, what I loved about this last one is they, it was another logical reasoning one. This time they gave people cards that had certain rules and there's sort of logical yes or no's that they had to sort of do. That part doesn't matter that much. What matters on this one is, again, they got variants. Some people weren't good. Others were good. The ones that were not good completely overestimated their ability one more time, just as you'd expect. But on this one, they trained half of the people how to do better on it. And on those ones, they became much more accurate. And that's really interesting. In all the other studies, it could have been other reasons, you know, reasons that are a little bit unlikely to happen, but it could just be, for example, that they got the causality wrong or something like this. On this one, by actually training some folks and then having those same folks become more accurate about their abilities, that's really interesting. It brought it down a lot. I mean, I think I actually wrote this in here. Like, at the beginning, even though they were totally bad, like in the lowest possible ranks, they said that they were in the 55th percentile and that they'd gotten five of the questions right, after the training, the same human beings jumped down 11%. They said, ooh, I didn't do as well as I thought. And they, um, let's see, they they said they only answered one of the problems correct. Yes. And what's fascinating as well, just before we do, uh, I guess, depart, what's fascinating is that even with that training, even with that training, they did, they did, uh, I guess they did adjust. They calibrate. They kind of yeah. like recalibrated. Yeah. But still not nearly yep. enough, yep. which is, which is, I guess it's to show just how important this is. So if you take someone who is incompetent in an area, they're going to believe that their competence is higher than it is. So this is like, I'm speaking very broadly. This isn't everyone. Now, if you train them up, they're going to be better at recognizing where they've gone right and where they've gone wrong. However, they're not going to do so to an accurate level. So someone who is an expert in that area, you give them more information, they might fine tune their assessments a little, but they were still good at it regardless. However, the people that don't know, the curse that they have is that they they need so much information to be able to accurately say what their level of competence is and the level of competence of others as well. So even with training, 
they're, they're still very, they still need a fair bit of work. That's it. It's almost like if we go up this ladder, they started with unconscious incompetence. Then they became consciously incompetent. The next step is to become consciously competent, which means I got this, but I have to work pretty hard at it. I'm not an expert. And then the last one was when it goes unconscious. You basically just become an expert. It, then you're the fish in the water. You don't know that you're in the water, that kind of thing. Woo. All right. How about that? Oh, man. This, and I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, listeners, for being here. This is...